Good morning. Welcome to our July 26th worship service. It's the last Sunday of July. And as we uh, look into August, uh, there are a number of things to pray about concerning the schools and the uh, return that needs to happen in our country to a way of life. And so I know that you're gathering with those concerns in your heart and your mind. And my, uh, my hope and my prayer is that you will focus on Christ in these next uh, few moments, that you're able to worship God and remember that he is the God who is leading and guiding us. Uh, I want to ask if you would join me as we, we take this moment to prepare our hearts to understand God's word, to reach out to the Lord and understand how he speaks to us through his word. And I call you to worship this morning with these words from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heaven, you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever, and he gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the heavens or from the earth, you great sea creatures, all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. Oh, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all creatures, small creatures, flying creatures, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted and his splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Let us worship God. This morning I'm writing, or I'm reading from 1 John, and as I've written through uh, the sermon this past week, I have come to realize the great power of this small letter. And so I invite you, if you have not done so yourself, that you would open your Bibles and go back and read all of chapter 1. Because as we get into chapter 2, and we are dealing with chapter 2, verse 7 through through 14 this morning, uh, the, the tremendous power of God's word in teaching us how it is that we know that we are Christians. And so I invite you now, if you would, stand with me and let us hear the word of God as we, we ask God to move in our hearts so that we might understand and live out the life that Christ has given us. Hear now the word of God. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, and yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 
Now, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brothers lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of God. Pray with me, won't you? Our gracious Father, as we think about what it means to walk in the light, we ask now that we might understand in this section of Scripture all that you have intended for us to not only understand, but to live out. And so it is our prayer that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. We have now heard it. Help us to understand it in such measure that we practice and we live out what is true and right. For this we ask and we pray in the name and sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When you and I begin to start this series on what does it mean to be a Christian, uh, how do I know I'm a Christian? John is writing to people who are facing all kinds of false teaching. And many of the teachings that are false were dealing with the fact that if you do certain things, then you are able to earn your salvation or earn a higher level of salvation. That through our activity, we are saved. And the most amazing thing about the gospel is it says it's not our activity. It's not our rituals that save us. It is our faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. That he bore our sins upon the tree and in so bearing them, he put to death the enmity that existed between us and God. In other words, through Christ, God has created a way for us to have a relationship with the Father in heaven. And so as we go back and we think about what we've learned so far about how I know I'm a Christian, first... John teaches us that the message of the Christian faith is the gospel. It is a way in which we can have peace with God, but it's not just a message in and of itself. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ, the eternal one, who was in the flesh when he walked with John for those three years of his ministry, but now has been resurrected from the dead and sits with the Father in heaven. And all who believe in him are born from above. That's what John tells us in chapter 3 of his gospel, that you must be born from above. And so he is writing to people who have heard the gospel, they've heard the message, they have come to believe in Christ, but more importantly, they have come into a relationship with God through Christ. And so when you and I begin to wrestle through this, he is then beginning to say that this relationship deals with a walk, a way of living. 
When we and our family decide to go out and have a walk, we walk together. We take our dog and then we try to keep up with him if we're able. And as we walk, we're very much aware that, that the walk is more than just our feet being put one in front of the other. We're actually sharing life. We're talking about things. We're, we're actually experiencing life together. And this is the imagery that John has been using in chapter one. He says that we walk in the light, meaning we walk in the presence of Christ. That no matter where we are, what we do, where we go, the, the first truth of being a Christian is that we are God's people, not because of what we do, but because what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And therefore he, through the light of the world, through Jesus, who is the light of men, he has transformed us and brought us into fellowship with himself. And John makes it emphatic that, that that fellowship that we have with Jesus as believers is not a Lone Ranger experience. In other words, it involves other believers in Christ. So if you are a Christian this morning and you are not a member of a church, you're not accountable to other Christians, you're missing Jesus because Jesus makes himself known and evident and is walking in the light of his presence with people who know him and therefore the Christian faith is not a solo endeavor it is a community endeavor this is why relationships are so very important in the church and and so often churches struggle in this area because the tendency the pull in the church is to someone to exercise their own will over the will of God and the calling of the Christian life is not to exercise our will over God. It is to be submissive to the Lord. And in that submission, we are then united with others under Christ. And so John has gone to great extent to talk about if we claim to walk in the light, but we say there is no sin in us, we're liars. He went on to talk about how if, if we sin, and we do it without any kind of conscience, then that's probably an indication that we're not walking with Jesus. But those who do know Jesus, those who do walk with him, become much more aware of their sins. And there is a habitual need to confess sins, not just individually or quietly, but with other people in a church. And so when we have a pastoral prayer, we have a time when there is confession. Why do we do that? So that individually we may confess our sins? No, that we may confess our corporate sins together. Where we are failing to live up to the calling of Christ. Where we doubt or fear or allow anything else to distract us from keeping in step with him. So it is not surprising as we deal with that whole business and as Doug preached so wonderfully eloquent, that whole process of how we have an advocate who, who knows our weakness, who understands the temptations we go through, that we can come to him in that weakness and find the strength of the light of God in our confession and in the fact that God will forgive us and cleanse us. It's in, in chapter 2, verse 7, that John begins to further illuminate this tremendous power by talking about his, his whole demeanor of what it means now to be in this light of Christ. And he opens the verse that we read this morning, chapter 
2 verse 7 by saying, dear friends. Now, what does he mean, dear friends? There are a lot of reasons why you can join a church. Most people come to a church because they drive by a building and they say, oh, that's a nice building. I think I'll go and visit there. And then when they come and they sit in the pew, they may hear music or hear prayers or experience something among people that cause them to think, well, maybe I should come back. But usually about the third or fourth or fifth visit when someone is looking at joining or, or finding a church community, one of the things they're asking themselves is, are there people here who can relate to me? Well, that's not surprising, is it? We are, we are people who want to be accepted and loved and appreciated. But if the church was only based upon friendship, then it would be missing the mark of what it means to walk in the light of Christ. When John writes these words in verse 7 to those who are listening and hearing his letter, he says, dear friends, and the word there in the Greek is agapateo. It is, a, it is a word that comes from the verb agape, and it is a, a, a sacrificial love. It's a love that God has for you. And so when John writes to these Christians, he uses this phrase many times in talking about them being dear friends, and that's a poor translation. It, it, it would be better, verily dearly loved ones or beloved in other words, he is reminding them that their inclusion in the light of Christ is not because they're good people or that because they have some wealth or some commodity that endears them to God. It is because they are believers in Christ through the grace and mercy that God has allowed them to hear the gospel, to repent of their sins and believe upon the son Jesus. And so their motivation then for living out their life is not trying to earn God's love. They already have it. They're beloved. And I don't know if you've thought about that, but, but you are highly prized and dearly loved by God. I don't know if you feel that this morning. It doesn't matter if you do. It doesn't matter if you don't. The point that John is writing is that you are dearly loved by God and that perspective should change the way you look at your life from this point on. And so because of that, as he says, you dearly loved ones, I want you to understand something. I am not writing to you something that you haven't heard. He says, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it talks about this command to love one another. That's really what he's been talking about all in chapter one. That if I love God, then I should love my brother or sister in Christ. And you think, well, what does that mean? It means basically that you should care for them because Christ cares for them. That because Christ now lives in your heart, that same Christ you worship lives in their heart. And if that Truth is evident in your life of that understanding. It should impact how you live out your life with the other person in Christ. In other words, there ought to be a distinction in your relationship with another believer that is marked by the presence of Christ, which you don't have with someone who doesn't believe in Christ. I remember one of the astounding truths that came upon me as an early Christian 
was that I was now part of the family of God. And unfortunately, I had this idea that there was a perfect family of God. Then therefore, if everyone loved Jesus, then everybody would work out their problems and everything would be perfect. And that's exactly the opposite of the case. If you come and be a part of a church, you're going to find out that there are a lot of bad things that happen in a church. Why? Because people are selfish. They're learning how to love God. And as they learn how to love God, they have to learn how to love one another. What a tremendous thought. You see, God didn't save you just so that you could go to heaven. God saved you from your own self, your selfishness, so that you would begin to learn how to love God and that evidence of loving God would be seen in how you love one another. This is how Jesus said in the Gospels. He said, men and women in the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Now, if that doesn't arrest you for a moment, just think through. Who have I been loving in this church? And more importantly, how has that love given evidence that I love God? And yet John says, I'm not writing you a new commandment. Why? Because if you go back from the very beginning, God has told his people, love one another. You can find it throughout the Old Testament. When, when you think of the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the commandments go on to say that if you do that, then you would love your neighbor. In fact, the first Four of the Ten Commandments deal with our love relationship with God. The next six deal with our love relationship with each other. You cannot separate the two. And John says, I have not written to you anything new because you read it before. Before you read my letter, you knew this was true. Not only was it from the beginning, but you've heard it in other teaching in the church. You've heard it from... Paul, you've heard it from Peter, love one another. And yet this commandment, John writes, is new. How is it new? He says it's an old commandment, but now it's a new commandment. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he says that it is truth that is seen in Jesus and in you. In other words, you don't know and you couldn't know how much God loves you until you came to know Christ and the sacrifice that he made for you because he loved you. I've talked to people who come to this awareness, this awakening in their hearts where they come to know the love of God and it transforms their whole outlook on life. But here John even goes further. He says, this evidence of Christ's love being in your heart is now in the heart of every one of you. In other words, this truth, this truth that now God loves me and I love God because of what he did through the cross is evident in the fact that Jesus is the example of what true love is and that true love now is at work in my heart causing me to die to myself so that I might love God and his people. He goes on to say that the evidence of this new commandment is new in the sense that the darkness is passing. 
And the true light is already shining. What is he speaking about? That when we come into that relationship with God by the power of his light, we are transformed in our hearts so that we know the distinctions between what it means to walk in darkness and light so that when we are tempted to walk in the darkness, we think, no, that's just not what I should do. That's just not loving God. That's not serving Christ. That doesn't follow what I believe concerning what God has told me about his love for me. And such newness is what we speak about when we talk about the transformation, the conversion of the heart. That being born again born of God. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's not something I manufacture. It is new because it is something God creates in me. A love for Him and those who love Him. But there's a danger here that John goes on to talk about. He says there is a real problem if we say we love God. The question is, do we love each other? And you cannot separate the two. Notice in verse 8, he says, Yet I'm writing you a new command. This truth is seen in you and is seen in him and you. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. You hear it? Now he's writing to Christians. And there is almost the suggestion, no, it is the suggestion that you can say you love God, but you can act in such a way with your brothers or sister that you betray that love and show that you're not listening to God. You're not humbling your heart and being obedient to the Father because you treat your brother as if you hate him. What evidence is there that I'm walking in the light? Is there any evidence that I'm a Christian? Is there any evidence that I'm a Christ follower? Yes, there is. The evidence is that I have a love for my brothers and sisters. That's the evidence. He goes on to say that that love is evident because it's a, a love that causes me to walk with my brother. And notice how he places this. He goes on to say in verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. In other words, in verse 10, when he talks about whoever loves the Lord, whoever loves his brother, whoever lives in the light, they have not only loved their brother or sister, they don't stumble because the light shows them how to walk. The light reveals for them how they're to treat one another. In other words, you're not a doormat for your brother and sister, nor are they a doormat for you to step on. That by learning how to love God, we learn how to love one another. And in that endeavor, that is the evidence that you are learning how to love. Not that you perfected it. And so the evidence of being in darkness, as we've seen, is that you not only hate your brother, 
But you walk in the darkness instead of walking in the light with your brother or sister. And you have no idea where you're going. Why? Because you, you aren't following the Lord. John puts it in such stark terms. He says, anyone who does this, anyone who says, I love God and says, I'm walking in the light, but still walks in the darkness has become blinded. How can I be blinded? You can be blinded by your sins. You can be blinded to think, well, I'm really not doing anything wrong. That's a blindness. When you go back and you look at the six commandments that are beginning with, with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and then go all the way through the rest, all the way to coveting, and you really begin to meditate upon those words, you begin to realize that God has a great high standard for the church. That God's standards for us is that we would not live duplicitly with one another. That when there is a problem, you go to your brother and sister alone and you, you resolve this problem by being united with Christ. Christ becomes the motivation. The honor of God and his word is the motivation. And so whenever there is any kind of enmity in our hearts for another believer, for someone within our community of faith, the Bible says there are ways in which we're to deal with this. How? We are to go to that person. So often we don't do that. We go to the people around them. Instead of dealing with the issue, we, we will go out of our way to tell someone else about the issue and only inflame and divide and, 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 and let the church become a blazing fire of gossip. Jesus says, the world will know you love me by the way you love one another. So let me ask you something. Do you have, do you have a bitterness with anyone in your church? Are you allowing that bitterness to rob you of being able to walk in the light of God? Are you allowing that bitterness to divide the church? Then you're walking in darkness and you have no part of Christ. This is what John is teaching. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is the distinction that makes it certain of knowing how I am a Christian. You say, well, that doesn't include me. Well, no, it does. Look at verse 12 through 14. John almost puts this in a poetic writing. He talks about, I write to you. I write to you who? He writes to you children. He writes to you fathers. He writes to you young men. Why does he choose those times? I believe it's because most often men, you and I know as men, that so many times we hold grudges and we allow our pride to distract us from the glory of God and, and cause division in the church. He says, I write to you children, and there have been comments that he's talking to everyone in the church, children in the generic sense of those who were children of God, not just small little ones in the church, but those who are called the children of God. I write to you this truth. 
I give it to you this morning. I draw your attention to its power because you have been forgiven on account of his name. Therefore, you should be forgiving. But if you're not, then you're walking in darkness. But I write to you, children, because you know the Father. In other words, children who, who are disobedient know they're not right with their parents. And he says, I don't want you to be that way. Therefore, I write to you so that you don't have to live this way anymore. You can walk in the light and show the genuine faith you have in God. He says to fathers, fathers, I write to you. And he says it twi twice. Because you know him who is from the beginning. Emphasizing that this, this father figure in the church is someone who is not only someone who lives out this truth, but models it for others so that they are constantly aware. And so men, as you think about your relationship with God, if you're holding bitterness against anyone else, you are denying the possibility of others growing in their faith because they're looking to you for the example. Just like a child looks to a father for his example or her example, so men, people are looking to you. As men of the church, do you live with the integrity of loving God and your neighbor? And then finally he says, I write to you young men. Why does he write the young men? Because young men are impressionable. Young men can be led away by all kinds of passions and desires in fact, if you go and read the book of Proverbs, you'll find that most of the Proverbs have been written for young men and young women who need counsel on how to live in wisdom, how to think about their life and make decisions in regard to how it will come out. What will be the result of how they decide to live? And he writes to young men, he says, because you have come overcome the evil one. How have they done that? They have done that through their faith in Jesus Christ. They have overcome the evil one, not by because of their own power they have delivered themselves. They have been delivered from the evil one because of the power of Christ. This is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. It literally means deliver me from the evil one who wants me to carry around bitterness and to not love my brother or sister. He says, you young men, you you are getting this letter because I want you to understand that through the one who came and died for you, you now have the ability to overcome the tendencies that would lead you to divide and de devour one another. Because you are strong in the word of God, because you live in Christ, that word is at work in you to give you love for others when you have no love in your own heart to give. And there is the power of the Christian life. We do not manufacture this love for others, but it is created in us by the Holy Spirit as we walk with Christ in the light. Let me ask you this morning, is there any darkness in your heart? Is there anything that is keeping you from God? 
then it's probably keeping you from others. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we thank you that it is through the light of Christ that you transform our hearts to be those that are loving. And there is no one here who is loving except you. It is why Paul wrote in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit will not be produced in our lives because of what we do. It will only be produced as we walk with you, Lord Jesus. In the sound of my voice, there are people who are alienated. They are strangers. They are separated from other believers because they have allowed a root of bitterness to so envelop their hearts that they can only stand at a distance instead of enjoy the fellowship of Christ, which is offered through those who believe in him. It is why we have so many denominations, so many different churches. It is why some people move from one church to another to another because instead of dealing with the crisis in their relationship with God in learning how to love you, they choose to ignore it and to go on to another place thinking their problems are resolved. And the truth is, the bitterness that is in our hearts is not caused by other people. It's because we choose to live in the bitterness of life. And it is for the gospel and its power that you have set us free. It is through the power of Christ that we are given the freedom to love and forgive just as we have been loved and forgiven. And so for that reason, transform our fellowship because we choose Jesus. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.